Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition cost. One can also audit such a course at a much less cost. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. Today's lecture is a part of our 10th annual Kashishko Chair Spring Symposium in honor of Lady Blanca Rosensteel. This event is sponsored by the Kashishka Chair of Polish Studies and the Center for Intermarium Studies. This evening, we will be hearing from Ms. Maria Uchewska. Ms. Uchewska is a communication specialist with versatile international experience. Her education in linguistics, cultural studies, and international affairs, combined with years of living abroad, makes her point of view unique and comprehensive. Ms. Uchewska has worked for the Kashishka Chair of Polish Studies since 2014. In her scholarly work, she is especially interested in propaganda. Ms. Yuchevska, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to welcome you at the Kościuszko Chair Symposium this year in a bit changed format to talk about the wartime fate of the Polish children deported to USSR in 1940 and 1941. The title of my presentation is damned or delivered, and I will elaborate on the complicated fates of Polish orphans in the USSR and their subsequent travels around the Middle East and in fact all over the world. The reason Kościuszko Chair is elaborating more on the fates of Polish deportees is the fact that this year in 2020, we are commemorating the 80th uh, anniversary of the massive deportations of Poles to um, the far eastern parts of the USSR, which took place in the 1940 and 1941. So to very briefly sketch the historical situation, um, to set the context for the fate of Polish deportees in um, on September 19 uh, on September 1 1939 Poland was attacked by Nazi Germany and subsequently in on September 17 it was also attacked by the Soviet Union and Polish lands were partitioned um, as a result um, in line with the earlier decisions of the secret at the time pact Ribbentrop-Molotov, um, the lands of Poland and USSR, the, the lands of former Poland, of the interwar Poland, were um, swallowed, so to say, by Third Reich and Soviet Russia. To a certain extent, the fates of um, the Poles in both zones were similar, similar they um, faced far-reaching um, persecution and deportation. However, in the case of the Soviet-occupied zone, um, there was a semblance of legality of changes. The Soviets um, introduced gradual replacement of old institutions and structures, and they also organized a plebiscite on October 22, 1939, 
by means of which the Poles inhabiting those parts of Poland declared that they want their um, respective regions to become the parts of Western Ukraine and Western Belarusia. Um, Poles who hesitated how to vote uh, were instructed by um, through private channels by Polish by the former Polish authorities that it's better to vote in line in, with what the Soviets wanted um, because the Polish government didn't want to um, endanger um, Polish populace. Um, a kind of social revolution was organized in Eastern Poland with local um, support of ethnic minorities. And a part of that policy of complete um, remodeling of the um, Polish, um, of the former Polish territory and the former Polish society uh, were massive deportations of, um, of Polish citizens, especially um, the members of the Polish elites, um, all the people who were involved um, in some way with um, business, um, intellectual activities, teaching, um, state administration, um, as well as social activists. An important aspect of deportations uh, to Siberia is related to Katyn Forest Massacre, um, which used to be um, a major event in terms of um, what the, the Poles could um, suffer through during the Second World War. Um, namely, uh, at the very beginning of war, when the, when the um, Polish um, territory was annexed into the Soviet Union, um, Polish officers were arrested by NKVD and they disappeared. Their, their fate um, was known until more or less March, April, 1940, because their families were receiving letters from, um, from, their, um, from their husbands and sons and, and fathers. Uh, and the um, soldiers arrested were not only the active service soldiers, they were also reserve soldiers. So um, it was not only the young men who were taken away. However, at some point, the trace disappeared, families stopped receiving letters, and the fate of those officers was one of the um, main problems of the Polish government in exile. So in the deportations of uh, April um, 1940, um, uh, I'm sorry, in the deportations of February 1940, um, the families of, um, of those officers were all already being trans transported to the east in line with the plans that the Soviets had for the officers. Namely, in April and May 1940, they were summarily executed. And um, this massacre of the um, Polish um, POWs has been a bone of contention throughout the Second World War in Poland's relation with uh, USSR. It was a complicated relationship because Poland was the ally of, um, of Great Britain and France, and 
when Hitler attacked Soviet Russia and Soviet Russia joined the anti-Nazi alliance, um, the relationship between Poland and Russia remained fragile, um, mainly because Poles were determined to find out what happened to the missing officers. With time, it transpired that they're dead and that they have been murdered. And whether this was done by Pole, by the Nazis or by the Soviets was the main problem in Poland's international relations throughout the Second World War. Meanwhile, because the Soviets already had plans with regards to the Polish um, men, something had to be done with their families. So, deportations took place in four waves. On February 10, 1940, on April 13, 1940, on the night of 28th and 29th, uh, 28 to 29th June 1940, and in May, June 1941. The first deportation was especially terrible because it was um, because the winter that year was particularly harsh and people were transported to um, the far, far east of the USSR in uh, very bad conditions. They were taken away in the middle of the night. They were given half an hour pack and more often than not, they were not informed what is going to happen to them. So not many of them didn't have warm clothing and all the necessary items for a long journey. Um, and very, the, what they packed and how they were treated throughout the procedure of packing depended on the personal choices of those who came to arrest them, which as may be inferred from numerous accounts that were left by people who participated in those events, uh, were much more interested in looting of the apartments of the people arrested than in informing them uh, what awaits them. So um, this is how the tragic odyssey of Polish elites um, began in the 1940. The first deportation um, uh, composed, uh, of course, the people arrested were the people most um, mostly stayed left behind by men who were going to war. So the percentage of women and children among the people arrested and deported was high. In the first wave, of, um, it was 40%. In the second wave, it was as many as 80% of women and children. Just to um, say a little bit about the controversy on the, night, on the number of deported, uh, according to the uh, railway and KBD uh, records that were revealed after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, the uh, Russian estimation of the number of people deported is around 340,000 people. However, the, um, the estimations conducted by the Polish government in exile in, in line with the map that you can see here um, were much higher, maybe as much as four times 
happen as four times more people were deported. And um, probably it's safe to assume that um, the number of people deported was um, at around the level of 1 million, 1 million, 200,000. Uh, but the task of counting of the victims um, is, still, uh, is still there. We still need to try to be more precise about the number of people uh, who were deported. This map shows uh, where all those people found themselves. Um, so here to the, uh, to the left of the screen, you can see uh, the, former the territory of the former Poland. The red part is the part that was um, incorporated and um, partly incorpor incorporated and partly occupied by the Third Reich. Um, in um, stripes, gray and red, you can see the parts that were incorporated into as parts of Soviet Union to the Soviet Union. And this red arrow shows us the direction of deportation and the red, um, red circles show us um, the main locations for the deportations of Poles. And the diameter of the circle corresponds to the number of people deported. So the larger the number of people deported, the larger uh, the circle. And as you can see, most people ended up either in the south of, um, um, of uh, USSR or north in, in the north close to the Arctic Circle. So as you may imagine, the problems that Polish refugees came across um, were terrible because they were faced with numerous adversities related to climate, um, to their general unpreparedness for the harsh conditions of life, also due to the fact that they were not informed about what kind of um, of equipment they need, what kind of clothing, uh, whether they need to take medicines or not. So um, they ended up in terrible conditions. Uh, most of the times uh, they were just dropped in the middle of nowhere and relocated to some punitive or not punitive um, villages in the depths uh, of the USSR, um, where they were um, in fact sentenced to slave labor, starvation, and desperate living conditions because there was no other choice anyway. So depending on the location, there were difficulties related to temperatures which were either extremely low or extremely high or whose amplitude was extreme like very cold nights and very warm days in the south of the USSR. They um, were working in dehumanized conditions. Um, they didn't have tools and clothing appropriate for this type of work, like hard, hard work in, in the woods or, um, or hard work in the field. They were punished for being late or insufficient in terms of work quotas. 
which was frequent given the fact that those were mostly women and kids who were working or I would say teenagers because kids up to the age of 12 were not allowed to work um, and had to go to, um, to um, a school instead or a kindergarten or if, they, if their age fell in between um, childhood and um, puberty, they would uh, do some minor preparatory work. Um, also, the people who supervised them were cheating when filling the worksheets um, to not give the appropriate amount of food or money if there was some money given for the work. Excuse me. Um, one of the most terrible rules that the Polish refugees faced was who doesn't work doesn't eat and this meant that if the that um, the food was given only to the people working in the family so if you were a mother of four and your children happened to be tiny and happened to survive the terrible um, the terrible uh, ordeal of getting from Poland in a cattle car to um, to the depths of the USSR, a journey which often lasted three or four weeks. Um, then all you had to eat was what you can earn with your own labor. So obviously food was insufficient. People in many memoirs remember eating anything um, that was edible or non-edible just to keep themselves going in spite of disgust, supplementing it with whatever the local environment could prove, um, could provide. And in this regard, the people who were um, deported to, to the southern parts um, were maybe a little bit more lucky because they could, um, they could find something in um, better um, in better natural conditions. However, people who are working in the forest, um, they could um, supplement their food at least uh, in the warmer months. As a result of general malnutrition, overwork and desperate hygienic conditions of, of life, the disease was rampant. And um, the survival rate was not high. So further developments in the war, namely the, um, the attack of Hitler on the USSR, came as a, um, came as a salvation to Poles who were, um, who were left stranded in what grew to be called in human land, because the recollections from uh, the USSR of Polish deportees uh, were so terrible um, that um, the name in human land, which is a title of one of the books about this experience, was generally applied to the overall experience of Poles in the USSR in that part, in, in that time. Um, in those photographs, you can see the Polish orphans um, in, in the USSR, especially the picture in the uh, left bottom corner shows the um, desperate um, improvisation conditions. Um, 
but we will talk about it more now. So, in, as, as a result of the attack of, um, of Hitler on USSR, the Polish-Soviet diplomatic relations, which were severed as a result, as a result of the attack of USSR in Poland, uh, were reinstated. And um, as a result of the uh, Sikorsky-Maisky agreement in July 1941, um, the, um, two things happened. A decision was taken to create Polish armed forces in the USSR, composed of the people of Polish um, uh, citizenship who found themselves in the area of USSR by any means. So whether they, uh, whether they have been deported or whether they have been arrested and incarcerated, um, they could now become members of the Polish armed forces in USSR. Um, so they were free to join the, the forces uh, who were in the process of being created. Um, this um, occurrence of po um, and Polish civilians who were um, here to for who, who here to for had been the deportees and um, and were sentenced to forced labor were free to go. Um, to join um, the Polish forces. Of course, it was not an easy task. Many Poles were not informed about the amnesty or were in some sort um, intimidated by the, by the people who supervised um, a given settlement um, because naturally um, the leaders or managers of such settlements they did. They were not happy to to get rid of sl slave labor, so we, they were trying to in intimidate the poles to uh, not move and just keep working. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, many Polish people decided to um, to try their luck in joining the Polish armed forces in the USSR. Um, so gradually. Uh, to the concentration points of the Polish army, which were in the south of the USSR, more and more start, more and more people started coming, um, proving to the horror of, of the Polish government in exile that all that has been suspected, of, that all that had been suspected about the conditions for the Polish people in the USSR was actually true. Um, because they were um, severely undernourished and oftentimes in very bad physical condition uh, due to frostbite and hard labor. Um, so uh, what, what transpired immediately was that before those people are able to serve in any army, they need to be at least a little fed and, and, uh, and cured from the most urgent physical conditions. Um, so um, the, this whole process of, of the concentration of, of the Polish armed forces in the USSR was taking a little. And um, with time, it became obvious that, that um, the appearance of a large um, politically, um, of a large army that has political other giants independent from the USSR is not very welcome 
by the Russians in spite of the provisions of the sikorsky maisky Treaty and, and them, being an, them being allies and, and the Poles being allies. Um, so more and more problems were being made to, to, the, to the Polish forces. So General Sikorsky, who was the commandant of the army and who had previously been um, imprisoned himself in, in Łubianka prison, um, decided that this army at whatever um, stage of um, readiness it is needs to be um, evacuated from the Soviet Union uh, lest the Soviets try to stop them by incorporating them into the Red Army or dispatching them to some um, front of the very burning uh, need that is the, the German uh, German Russian front. Um, so the decision was taken to evacuate the forces and they were evacuated between March and September 1942. And um, as a result of this evacuation, more than 100,000 people left the territory of the USSR and this included 36,000 um, women and children uh, whose, um, for whom leaving with the Anders army uh, was really um, a chance of survival. There was one caveat, only a family of the military person could leave. Uh, so not everybody uh, was allowed to leave. Uh, General Anders was doing all he could to to take as many civilians as possible. So um, additional units for teenagers uh, were created um, next to the regular units of the Polish army. Um, they admitted children between 14 and 18 years of age. And the aim of those uni units was um, preparing people for uh, later military service and it became a pretext of evacuating um, people younger than 18 from, um, from the territory of the USSR, even if they were orphans, so couldn't be considered a son or a daughter of a military man. Um, and of course, Polish authorities were quite lenient. So if you are 12 and could still claim you look like 14, they would accept your claim that you're 14. Uh, the decision to evacuate um, Polish orphans was a separate decision of Stalin, which was taken on December 24, 1941. Um, so the efforts in this regard uh, could officially proceed. Um, this was an operation in itself because uh, Polish, um, Polish um, forces in the USSR, they were very happy to welcome whatever children tried to join them. And, and in the memoirs you can read, that people would sometimes, that the Poles would sometimes travel for, for tens of kilometers just to meet the military unit and hand over the children to them, deciding to part in this way and hoping that at least uh, the, child have, um, the child has the chance of survival. Um, so this is, this whole this whole epopee of Poles in the USSR is, is the event full of um, drama and, and suffering. And only when you read the, 
and the memoirs of people doesn't become obvious how taxing all those experiences were. So with regards to the roads of evacuation, they were two routes, uh, one through the Caspian Sea from the port of Krasnovodsk, Krasnovodsk today in Turkmenistan to Pahlavi uh, today in Iran. There was also a, an alternative route on which we will focus, which led through the mountain, mountains on the Russo-Iranian border from Ashgabat through Kapetag Mountains to Mashhad. So we already saw this map, um, but um, because the distribution of the poles in, in the USSR, of the deported poles in USSR was such, it was decided to um, move the uh, sites of um, concentration of of these future soldiers farther and farther south and southwest to be to be able to um, be stationed as close to to the um, point of exit or the anticipated exit as possible and naturally as close to the theater of military activity too um, so what you can um, you can see here is the route that became known um, as the route of hope for uh, many many people uh, that had been deported or arrested and um, and sent to prisons uh, in the Gulag archipelago. Um, here in, in the dark red, you can see the arrows that uh, show how far all the, all the deportees were taken. And the yellow arrows show the initial, initial place of the concentration of the Polish uh, armed forces in the USSR in Mosulk and its travels to Tashkent, then, and then from Tashkent to Krasnovodsk and through the Caspian Sea to Pahlavi in Iran. And as I already mentioned, the Polish orphans and Polish children in general joined um, General Anders' army. But the moment there was an official permission for the, um, for the evacuation of the Polish orphans, some of the deportees who joined the General Army's units undertook the efforts to organize Polish orphanages along the route um, of the march of, of, the, um, of the General Anders' army. And they also undertook systematic search of Polish orphans, not only in the locations uh, to which Poles were deported, uh, but also in various um, orphanages, Russian orphanages, the so-called Vietdoms or Vietdome, or, um, or um, basically in the street, because many, many children um, that were orphaned or many children that got lost during the travels with their families um, could be found. 
um, this was especially um, this was especially true in the conditions in which uh, Poles in the USSR were free to move around the USSR trying to join the, the Polish uh, armed units. So many people were on the move. Um, of course, of course, this process was somehow supervised by uh, by the Soviets and and their movements were also restricted. Oftentimes they were redirected in, in incorrect directions or instead of being freed, um, they were just sent from one place of, like, of forced labor to another. Um, so it definitely was not easy uh, to, to find General Anders' army. And even if, you even if you managed to do that, it wasn't at all obvious that you you would be taken. Um, so of course the, the epopee of of the General Anders armies is a topic that deserves a series of lectures at least. So let's just focus on, on the orphans. So this um, this activity of, of Polish civilians, volunteers uh, working together with, with the Polish armed forces was undertaken. Children were, um, they fished for children, so to say, and children were coming to the concentration points um, on their own as well. And um, in the end, uh, the place of the, of the final preparation of children for, for transportation elsewhere, um, outside of the Soviet Union, became uh, Ashgabat. And the, the tragic fates of, of children and the ordeal of children can be found in numerous memoirs. Naturally, those memoirs are published mostly in Polish, uh, but um, documents in English can be found too, as well as um, documentary films. So I encourage everyone to look for uh, documentary films online. Uh, one, of, one of the especially poignant reports uh, on the topic um, is a book entitled I'm sorry, it's called Tuwatwidzieci, which could be easily translated into either wandering children or exiled children. Um, my take on this title is ra exiled much rather than um, wandering because wandering implies some sort of voluntariliness of movement. Meanwhile, the Polish deported children had really no choice. So um, the author of this book is a famous Polish, um, Polish um, singer, cabaret performer and actress. Hanka Ordonovna, who um, had been deported herself, worked in horrible conditions um, for um, until she was able to free herself. Uh, as a result, she suffered from tuberculosis, uh, which got renewed in, in the conditions in which uh, she had been working. But in spite of her own, own personal ail ailment, she was very active in 
um, in those search units which were searching for Polish uh, orphans and she belonged to the first group of people um, who left with the Polish orphans uh, for Iran and uh, later for India. So this is how she describes the arrival of children um, collected in smaller concentration points by other activists of the same civil service uh, earlier and who were in the end summarily sent in one train to Ashgabat. So this is how she describes the situation she witnessed. Into this Ashgabat night there spilled from the trains a crowd of little paupers from whom everything had been taken away, including their parents' loving hearts, encased in the bodies frozen under the faraway snows. A station lamp dangled in the gusts of wind, projecting shades and lights onto exhausted, emaciated faces of children. This tragic lot formed a long procession. The children barely dragged their legs in pairs, misery with disease, hunger with lies, to the awaiting buses. So this gives us the idea of, um, of what it looked like, the, the faces of children, um, the one that you see uh, in the top, in, in more or less in the middle of the screen, is the child um, that was um, received in the collection point in Vevreskoye, um, close to Tashkent. As you can see, the malnutrition is is obvious, just as in the case of the other child uh, beneath. Um, so mm, the condition of children who started to appear in, in the Polish orphanages um, all over the USSR uh, is described by um, the excerpt from the letter of Ambassador Stanisław Kot um, from Kuybyshev, where temporarily Polish uh, um, Polish embassy was established after the re re uh, after the um, diplomatic relationships were uh, reinstated uh, to the Prime Minister Władysław Sikorski uh, to London to to the government in exile. The present state of hygiene and food supplies in the Soviet Union, coupled with the extreme exhaustion of the children, makes taking them abroad the only possible way of saving them. I therefore request that the government look into this issue as soon as possible and take at least 50,000 children out of the Soviet Union, quartering them in British territories in Asia and Africa. I stress that this is the only possible way of saving these children who will otherwise be condemned to death and thus be lost to Poland forever. And here you can see you can see the pictures of, of the Polish orphans and, and children who reached um, who were evacuated to Iran, both both of the pictures to, um, to the left and the one in the middle uh, were taken in Iran. Uh, Meanwhile, the photograph in, in the right bottom corner um, has also a special history, a special history behind it. Um, because the boy in the middle, the one um, um, signed with, with a black cross on his chest, is um, holding um, is holding his sister. 
and um, this is the sister whom he saved um, by bringing her on his back um, to the um, to the orphanage in spite of the fact that um, he was six and she was uh, one year and a half so because his mother died and um, there was nobody who could take him to um, Samarkand where he heard that um, uh, Poles are, are concentrating and that there is a place for children too. Um, he um, was walking in the snow with his sister who was uh, below two years old and when she could no longer walk he just found some um, some piece of cloth and, and he made a bundle and, and brought her on his own back. Uh, so this is the type of this is the type of situation uh, Polish children were facing before being evacuated. After they were evacuated to Iran, um, some of them were transported farther. Some of them stayed in um, Tehran, and some traveled farther to Isfahan, uh, which became for a while. Um, the city of Polish children, and this is how it, it is still known um, to the Iranians uh, when they discuss history of the Second World War. Uh, where you can see a cross on the map um, is a place where um, a Polish cemetery can be found as well, um, and a Polish Jewish cemetery that is the cemetery of, of the Jews that were. Uh, Polish citizens as well, because many of those who survived um, evacuation didn't live to enjoy freedom. Uh, so this is the, um, here you can see the route of, of General Anders' army, um, which, whose formation started here and then they traveled subsequently to Tashkent and then uh, through Krasnovolsk to Pahlavi. Uh, and then farther on to fight on all the all the fronts of the Second World War. However, we are going to focus on this part of their of the trip of this on this smaller route, which is the route that uh, Polish orphans uh, took from Ash Ashgabat. And this is how the efforts of General Anders to to save as many Polish children as possible when evacuating the, the military and the, the, the military, uh, meet the efforts from another country, namely from India. In parallel to um, the efforts of General Anders' army inside of the USSR, um, there were efforts of the of the Polish uh, diplomatic mission in India, the, the ambassador uh, Eugeniusz Banasiński and his wife Kira, who was a, a, a Polish Red Cross member, to organize a, a relief mission to the Poles in the USSR. So initially they were not thinking about the evacuation of children. Initially they just wanted to organize a, a mission that would send material support to the, to the deportees in the USSR 
undoubtedly um, alarmed by the news that were spread uh, due to the fact that the Poles were um, uh, allowed to correspond uh, with their family members and this is how the news about their terrible conditions uh, could be achieved and uh, disseminated. Um, uh, an important contribution to, to the whole endeavor uh, was made by uh, Dr. Tadeusz Lisiecki, who was Polish vice consul in um, Mumbai, um, at that point Bombay, um, and um, uh, who became the manager of the of the whole mission. Um, also, um, another person who is going to reappear in our story was Father uh, was Father Antoni Pluta, whom you can see in the picture uh, on the right hand side of the screen, next to the Ambassador Banasinski and Mrs. Ambassador Banasinski. Um, and while to the left you can see um, Dr. Lisiecki. And um, what was very particular about this Polish Red Cross mission uh, was that um, the road um, that they were meant to take um, uh, was a land road as opposed to the, to the sea route, which was usually used for the transportation of cargo and goods. Uh, they decided to try to deliver goods to um, Ashgabat through the mountains. Um, so both the Soviet authorities and the Indian authorities were very skeptical about this route. It was dangerous, it, it has never been tried before, um, and um, it was all in all risky mission, even if only cargo was considered, not to even think about Polish undernourished orphans. Uh, but because because the arrival of this mission coincided with uh, with the appearance of the Polish orphans in Ashgabat, and a new idea um, a new idea has um, has arisen has arisen, was raised uh, to um, try to transport what whatever children they they there were already. Um, back to India to not lose the precious time in which diplomatic um, relations um, that were worse and worse every day between um, Polish government in, in exile and, and the USSR uh, are still good enough to, to allow people some field for maneuver. And this, um, the mission ended with success, which is proved by the document um, um, in that I'm presenting to you. This is a report of the um, Consul General of the Republic of Poland to, to the government in exile, in which he says that the leadership of the expedition was able to successfully struggle against all the odds um, which, it encountered, which they encountered both in Soviet Russia and um, like the fight against the typhoid um, in the orphanage in Ashabad, um, which um, um, in in which no child was uh, uh, was dead, um, as well as different occurrences in Mashhad already uh, on the Iranian side. Um, 
the expedition succeeded in transporting children to, to Bombay um, in generally good health condition. Um, I also uh, need to emphasize that organizing a land transport in convoy um, between Bombay and Quetta, Quetta Mashhad and Mashhad to the Soviet border into the Soviet territory uh, was the, the first time achievement and an exploit uh, with regards to the cargo transport, transportation on this route. I believe this is a success um, because both the, in, the Indian um, central powers and the, um, and the carrier companies were very skeptical towards this idea and didn't believe it, it could succeed. Um, I also must emphasize here that the biggest success of all is to organize the convoy transporting people that has not been achieved be before, um, which faced additional difficulties such as lack of room and board um, facilities en route uh, and the necessity to um, to put the children to sleep in, in the trucks and in uh, garages uh, and, um, and also face the difficulty in terms of providing them with food. Uh, I must um, say that without the goodwill and the organizational abilities of the head of the strip, that is Dr. Lishetsky, um, this wouldn't be possible. So it shows us how the resourcefulness of the of the Polish diplomatic mission, both the ambassador and both, both the consul general and and the and and the vice consul um, ended in in a spontaneous, so to say, but very risky mission of saving Polish orphans, um, which is. I think personally a topic worth film, filming. <laughs> so this is what this trans, this is what this convoy looked like um, uh, in Iran already. Um, the transports uh, through the land route took took place three times. Uh, the trans the transportation of uh, of children in this way. Um, altogether, approximately 600 children were transported in, um, in uh, uh, three um, escapades, so to say. Uh, but the difficulties of this route were such that the vice consul um, discouraged um, the Anders army from taking the land route of, of evacuation and, and definitely recommended um, the sea route through the Caspian Sea. So this other route um, allowed for the evacuation of children as well. The conditions of the evacuation you can see, um, crowded ships, um, which in themselves um, were not in a very good condition. Uh, this is in, in what condition um, the, the children were transported. Um, you can see them lying exhausted uh, on, the, on board. 
and in the in the bottom left uh, in the bottom left corner you can see the, the mission that is accepting the refugees you can see you can see the um, the sea in the background and the tents on the beach and those tents on the beach where people were disinfected and given opportunity to wash themselves and and to to get some new clothing um, re resurface in, in many memoirs. So those were memorable moments for those people who are leaving USSR um, behind together with all the difficulties and dangers that uh, living there posited for them. Um, so, so this is the reality of, of the strip. This is the reality. This is the reality of living conditions. And this is the political reality. And here I will have to switch from one document to um, another. So I just need a, a moment of patience on your part, just a second. Out of the land of Poland, there came a band of refugees. A nomadic company now arrived at the Transcaucasian foothills after an exodus that started four years ago. The fragment of a migration which has wended its laborious way through Russia to Persia. You see here a typical family caught up in the pathetic tide. Their name is Kowalski, a family of six. Father, mother, grown-up son and daughter, and two small children. They have managed to escape the separation which has broken so many thousands of other families. The Kowalskis are symbolic of the spirit which no dictator can prize loose from a nation. For four years, these emigres from tyranny have stuck together. During their wanderings, mothers have given birth to children on a bed of salvage. Those precious bundles they cling to, containing objects of a family's worship, and held on to because they're made beautiful by memory. Journey's end, the promised land. The reward of infinite suffering as the band of pilgrims arrives at its destination to be overwhelmed by their country folk already living on Persian soil. To intrude upon this scene of paradise is to witness the frantic search for relatives, the strength of feeling which, as loved ones are found, sweeps this refugee camp like a forest fire and consumes everything in a blaze of unfettered emotion. <laughs> To this temporary home near the Caspian Sea came Pate cameraman Terry Ashwood. From the frontier to this home for the homeless, he had followed their journey. Now, within the enclosure, he sees establishment officers registering the newcomers. The victims of Poland's agony find a haven of rest in Persia. British and American Red Cross associations supply them with new clothing. Small wonder if these suffering people had given up hope of ever finding happiness again. already the Kowalski family are reacting to their good fortune. A first simple act of kindness has acted like refreshing rain to a thirsting flower. What elation comes from a new frock, a clean shirt, and shoes for men and women who have walked barefooted for hundreds of miles. The Kowalski family stride out in the grounds of their new home. Only those who have known hardship and privation 
can experience real happiness. They know now where their next meal is coming from. Here is food, shelter, and a brotherhood which, having stood the test of suffering, is nobler than all the riches in the world. In this Iranian amphitheater, the community of Polish refugees sing and dance once more. No opera house or theater has known such happiness in an audience. Entertainment is not sold here. It's as free as the air in which it's given. You're looking at a family which has lost everything but its soul. They find their wealth now in something far greater and lasting than material things. Stripped bare of their worldly belongings, yet rich in the spiritual blessings which no power on earth can bring to those who hate them. For this thing of the spirit, the Kowalskis give thanks to God. By this act of devotion, this congregation exposes the shabby world in which we live. The humble and meek shall be exalted. To the canvas city comes the camp commandant. Able-bodied men and women are given the opportunity to retrieve their homes. The Kowalskis talk it over. The Poles know where their duty lies. Their minds are soon made up. They're not people to hide behind the efforts of others. Father, son and daughter are going out to carry on the fight. Uh, as we could see on this propaganda film, uh, the truth about the real conditions of life in the USSR of Polish deportees was not revealed. Uh, you could see people with clean, uh, clean faces, clothing in a relatively good uh, condition, um, no malnutrition, no lice in their hair, no dirt, no exhaustion, nothing. Um, the information about the true nature of the relationship between Polish citizens and the USSR authorities in the territory of the Soviet Union was withheld. The reason for it was very simple. The Soviet Union was a powerful ally of the coalition fought fighting the Germans and whatever could disturb the peace of mind of, uh, of the nations that participated in that coalition uh, had to be censored. Uh, as a result, the problem of Polish orphans uh, was not a, a problem that could be widely publicized. And the terrible condition uh, of children, their malnutrition, exhaustion, emaciation, starvation was not to be talked about. And this is the political reality that we are facing. The people, the civilians are evacuated, but what to do with them? is a completely different story. The people who joined Anders army, the, the soldiers, they will, they will recuperate and they will march on and they will become the fiercest anti-German soldiers in Europe. However, the civilians will have to somehow manage. And one, uh, one of the countries that extended the helpful hand was India. Um, not only um, because of, of the activities of the um, Polish diplomatic corps in India, which uh, through the organization of the Polish Red Cross mission um, initiated some action before politicians were ready for this action, uh, but also because of the uh, goodwill of, of um, uh, Indian politicians. And although 
the situation, politically speaking, was difficult for uh, for India because it it was um, um, it was under um, it it was involved with British politics by virtue on the, of the relationship um, between uh, Great Britain and India. But at the same time, there was a lot of internal, internal tension inside India already. A lot of uh, movements calling for the independence of India. Um, poverty was widespread. And the vision that um, Polish uh, deportees are supposed to um, that the Polish evacuated uh, deportees uh, are to um, make sojourn in India was not um, such a joyful prospect for to the authorities of India. However, uh, there were other factors that came into play, which I'm going to discuss further on. Um, for now, we are here in um, in uh, Mashhad, to which. Polish orphans were transported through the mountains and they still need to um, go along a dangerous uh, mountainous terrain through Keta uh, into the place uh, which is going to um, become their final uh, destination, um, which is going to be um, Balachadi. And it is all happening as a result of the goodwill of uh, um, Maharaja, which is known in Poland as the good Ma um, Maharaja, um, Divijay Sinji, uh, who, in, uh, who himself is, a, is an Indian politician who is, co who is cooperating with the London government and even participates in the seating of the British War Cabinet. Um, he himself um, knows Pol Polish culture a little bit through his meeting with Ignacy Paderewski, a famous Polish pianist and a politician, which took place in his youth. He is very sympathetic to the Polish culture. So when he hears about the desperate situation of the Polish orphans evacuated um, by the um, by the Polish Red Cross, uh, by the mission of, of the Polish Red Cross organized by the um, Polish consulate in uh, Bombay, uh, he is very much willing to help. So he offers to host 500 Polish orphans um, in his um, duty. And he later declares to take to be ready to host another 500 uh, when uh, such need arises. But on top of that, he also appeals to the other princes of um, of India to create Polish Children Fund, which um, um, and which whose aim is to gather money for the support of the Polish children in India so that it's not a burden on the Indian government and gives some field for maneuver to the Poles. And this fund is active till the end of war and, and indeed provide, provide, uh, provides funds. Um, so the good Maharaja 
has leverage because he is also the head, the head of the council of the chamber of princes, uh, which was um, a, a political body assembling um, uh, assembling to add together the leaders of small uh, dukedoms um, that created um, that were parts of India at the time. Um, so here we can see a number of photographs of uh, good Maharaja and um, here in the middle you can see him attending a, a, a small play that was put together by the children of, uh, of uh, the colony for children that he created in, in his dukedom um, for uh, Christmas. So what he said about the uh, fate of the Polish children and why he took this moment, momentous decision, to, uh, which was the first step to allow more Poles into the territory of India, um, uh, were the following words. Deeply moved by the suffering of the Polish nation and especially those Poles whose childhood and youth has been tragically overshadowed by this most terrible war, I wish to somehow contribute to the improvement of their fate. I offered thus to host them in my duchy far away from the torrents of war. Maybe there in the beautiful mountains on the seaside, they will be able to forget about all they had been through and regain their strength to work in the future as citizens of the free country. It is an utmost pleasure for me um, to have the opportunity to make the life of the Polish children at least par partly easier. So moved by his heart, um he went he went to great lengths to make the life of poles um, easier and especially of the polish orphans so uh, those polish orphans saved from the orf uh, from the uh, from the ussr uh, assembled in the polish orphanage in ashabad which subsequent subsequently got evacuated will find their home on the indian soil in uh, Balachadi near Yamnagar, um, in the province of uh, what is now Gujarat. Um, the first children ar arrive on the April 16, 1942, and you can see them here in the camp. The large uh, photograph um, shows how it was organized. This is the, the large square in which they would assemble for uh, for all the um, important events. Here we have the, um, um, all the children in characteristic headpieces called Topi. And through that camp, in the end, went uh, almost 1,000 children, not only the, um, the around six and a half hundred evacuated from the USSR by land, but also other children who came to India by other means. This is a camp for children, so they are mostly orphans or half orphans aged between 2 to 15. And um, the, the camp is organized in such a way as to provide them not only with a place to stay, but also with means to grow as human beings. So there is a preschool, a school, hospital, church, kitchen, laundry room, so they can lead their regular daily life, but also be educated. And with time, 
um, excellent educational offer develops, although initially there is shortage of, um, of um, books, manuals and teaching staff, with time um, it is all taken care of and more qualified staff from among the poles evacuated um, uh, is um, recruited and also some of the some of the manuals are printed in, in in Iran and then provided to to the Polish children in India. There are also printing houses in another settlement um, set up for the for the adult poles um, later on. Um, children engage uh, in schooling, scouting, sports, and extracurricular activities. Um, and the commandant of the camp. Um, throughout the, the whole um, existence of the camp is um, Reverend Franciszek Pluta, uh, who is known as a strict uh, but fair, um, but fair uh, leader of, of, of the Polish settlement for children. Um, there is also a matter of um, diplomacy involved. Uh, namely, due to the initial reluctance um, of the Indian authorities to open their um, their borders to to refugees, uh, Maharaja um, adopted the children and said they are his family members, so he can do as he please, as he pleases, um, and he is perfectly able to uh, offer them shelter in Balachadi because they are his family members. So in short, whether this was real, um, real adoption or whether he just used it as a ruse to be able to host the children, he did treat them as his own children. He, he wanted the children to address him as Bapu, which means father. Um, he was a frequent guest in the Balachadi camp. Children were allowed to use the sports facilities in his own residence, such as the uh, tennis courts and um, the beach. And there was a very warm and welcoming relationship between, uh, between the Maharaja and the children. Um, as a result of this initial step um, of, of building um, of, of allowing the access of Polish orphans to India, um, the British um, authorities of the Indian office in London finally decided that they will uh, open the borders of India to um, 5,000 Polish uh, refugees. And in this way, a year later in Valibada near uh, Kolhapur, um, a Polish um, village of Valivada um, was created. And this was a regular Polish settlement in the middle of India and um, the longest lasting um, facility for Polish refugees uh, in India, which, um, which was um, active still in 1948 when the last uh, refugees were uh, leaving it, uh, leaving it, and um, it emulated the model which was created in Balachadi. That is, um, it offers a number of um, of 
opportunities for personal activity and growth to the people who are amassed there. So it not only assembled people, but also allowed them for having regular daily life, but created also a number of in cultural institutions that were available to people and youth who lived in Bali Bade, because as you can see in Bala Chadi, you could, uh, you could live up to the end age of 15 and then many children were schooled in India and after they finished schooling they would return not to Balachadi but to Vadivada. And here we have a number of um, so so there is a model uh, which makes people involved in in the community that they are building and and they are bound to it not only by the way of physical location and accommodation, but also through various cultural activities and religious activity, of course, apart from their ethnic national um, um, bond. Um, also, a number of other uh, of other camps were uh, created on the Indian soil for the Poles. Uh, Bandara and uh, Quetta and Karachi Country Club uh, were transitional camps, so people would only arrive there to be dispatched in um, other directions. Um, Panjgani uh, was uh, of different nature. It was a mountain resort, and there was a small Polish home crea created in Panjgani for uh, people uh, endangered with tuberculosis. Those were mostly kids, but also some um, some adults and one of the first patients was the Polish uh, singer and film star mentioned earlier um, uh, Hanka Ordonovna. Um, so in all those places children would meet with um, with very warm care uh, all their needs were being met um, education was organized even for those um, who were in Panjgani and in theory could be only left to, to, to being uh, medicated and, and treated. Uh, but um, the people who were involved in the organization of the activities for, for Polish children were really determined to, to give them not only efficient medical treatment and housing, but also to restore their emotional equilibrium and and to give them a semblance of a normal childhood. So you can see the, the conditions um, um, for uh, for everyone who who stayed on in those resorts. Um, here uh, you have a meal in Bandara for children. Here's the visiting of Karachi. Um, here's a mass organized in, on the outskirts of Karachi for Polish Catholics. And here's uh, Penjgani, um, the, the home where the um, tuberculosis patients were treated. And here there is a small aside remark, Karachi Country Club was, was not a country club by any means. It was only a, a location in which tents were awaiting uh, the refugees uh, pitched in, in some desert. Uh, so to name it a country club was only an expression of uh, particular 
a sense of humor of the Brits, not really of the uh, conditions that uh, accompanied uh, the refugees. Here um, we have um, a plethora of activities that um, people were involved in, both in uh, Balachadi and in uh, Valivade. Um, so you can see the sports, which was an important aspect of uh, bringing up in those times. Musical activities, theatrical activities, theatrical activities for small kids, scouting, which was especially uh, popular at that era, but also popular because the natural conditions of India encourage um, um, I would say controlled explore, exploration of nature and provide a lot of sense of excitement to those who explore nature, of course, in supervised conditions because natural um, threats um, in that climate um, are also uh, present. Uh, we can also see in the left bottom corner the religious service um, in Valivade and to the uh, in the top right uh, corner we can see the uh, weaving uh, weaving class. So um, children were all, were not only educated um, ed educated in terms of, of letters and mathematics and uh, classical subjects um, that you can study at school, but also in terms of uh, various professions. And. Um, this whole Indian adventure of the Polish orphans ended after the end of the war. It is another complicated topic which deserves another lecture, but for now I can only say that as a result of uh, the conferences in Tehran and Yalta, Poland didn't emerge uh, from the Second World War in its initial shape. Um, it lost almost half of its territory to the Soviet uh, Union, half of its territory in the e East. It also fell into the Soviet sphere of influence, so the conditions um, of life in Poland changed. Um, and as a result, um, Polish refugees didn't feel like coming back to Poland after the war. So there was a longer, um, a longer dispute between um, the former allies, the, the representatives of the no longer recognized um, Polish government in exile, the new government, of, communist government of Poland, the refugees, the um, British authorities, and then the United Nations authorities. Um, so there was, there were many people involved in the discussion of how to close the um, refugee camps and what to do with the refugees. And ultimately, in spite uh, of the pressure of the communist government of Poland on repatriating all the refugees back to Poland, um, they were left a free choice and only 20% um, decided to go back they were coming back in subsequent waves. The last wave of refugees left Valivade, which was the last location to which first people were concentrated and from which later on they were dispatched on the Indian soil. Uh, in the left corner, you can see 
the departure of a group of refugees um, from Vade Vade. He, uh, in the left bottom corner, you can see the ship which transported the Polish refugees, the, the Polish refugees who decided to go back to Poland, um, to Poland. And in the top, um, top right corner, you can see those young Poles who decided to uh, not go back and and decided to go to the United Kingdom. So I can say that this experience of Polish orphans in India um, was important, first of all, because it created the precedent. The, due to the enter, entrepreneurial spirit of the Polish uh, diplo diplomatic mission in India, um, the facts were created at a, a Polish cross transport, um, Red Cross, um, Polish Red Cross transport with, um, with humanitarian relief was dispatched and they had an opportunity to bring the children back. So they used it. And this allowed for, for the precedent of hosting of Polish refugees from the USSR and allowed other people who left USSR in this way to not be left in some kind of limbo or God forbid sent back, be sent back, but to be located in other locations as well. And those locations were um, in the Middle East, in, uh, in, in Eastern, um, in, uh, I'm sorry, in East uh, Africa, but also in places as um, far away as Mexico and New Zealand. So in, in certain terms, the um, evacuation and placement of the Polish refugees um, from the USSR became one of the major civilian um, civilian logistic operations of the Second World War. Other locations in which um, in which Polish um, ref Polish children found themselves uh, were African countries um, of Kenya. Uh, of course, the, the names come from those times. So by now, those countries no longer are named this way. But at that point, it was Kenya, Tanganyika, South and North Rhodesia, the Union of South Africa in the Middle East, Iran, Lebanon, and Palestine, and additionally, Mexico and New Zealand. And um, in terms of um, um, catering to children's needs, um, it all followed the same pattern, a settlement for, for children, um, sometimes children alone, and sometimes children accompanied by adults was created and um, in, the, the Poles themselves self-organized and they were also support, supported by the Polish government in exile to create as soon as possible educational, um, educational network, uh, provide educational opportunities and um, provide um, uh, also voc vocational training so as to not lose time of, of the children because Polish authorities were acutely aware that the years that they spent in, in the Soviet Union 
were the last years in terms of their education. And I think that what is especially laudable is this focus on providing the youngest and the most vulnerable um, citizens of your country with, with the future in spite of the war raging, raging around and in spite of increasing doubts whether Poland is going to exist in, a, in its former uh, political shape, there is still this vivid concern for the future of, of the youngest representatives of, of Pol Polish nation, uh, which, which I think is a, is a form, foreign, formidable focus, especially when you read the stories of the African settlements in which conditions were particularly primitive. And still there are schools built and education is resumed as, as education and cultural activities like dramas, dancing, scouting, sports are resumed as soon as, as it, it is only possible. Um, there is a curious story um, related to um, the settlements in Mexico and New Zealand, namely the creation of the settlement for, for Polish, um, Polish orphans in Mexico created, um, it, so, to, so to say, inspired the creation of the same settlement in New Zealand because the, um, the children traveling to Mexico by ship stopped over in New Zealand and thus inspired um, the wife of the Polish uh, of the Polish consul in New Zealand to um, start efforts to um, to have um, a similar uh, settlement in New Zealand and Countess Wojcicka spoke to the to Mrs. Fraser the wife of the New Zealand's prime minister at the time that this would be a great idea. And this is how those two ladies um, set off to work and, um, and created opportunity for Polish orphans to stay in New Zealand in the camp in Payatwa. Uh, and this group of orphans ultimately um, became New Zealanders. Um, only very few people came back to Poland from that group and they were well organized and um, the, the children and the youth assembled in that camp um, put together a, a small um, a small ruse one of their friends who was who decided to go back to poland because many of those who decided to go back to poland were coming back only because their family members were in poland and they wanted to, to join their families um, one of those friends was supposed to write back to them a letter and since they expected censorship uh, she was supposed to write in a pen if conditions were good and in a pencil if conditions were bad so when she came back to Poland after a while a letter in pencil came and this was a factor which um, decided about um, many of those who were her friends um, staying in New Zealand. Um, so uh, what I believe is a, a formidable odyssey of the Polish nation, which survives not only deportations in, in terrible um, conditions, but also dispersion and still manages to recreate the structures of, of their society 
um, abroad um, is also a story of, of um, very touching kindness of multiple individuals who encountered the tragedy of, of uh, the orphans, uh, of, of the Polish orphans from the USSR and opened their hearts to them. And through singular acts of kindness, like the act of kindness of um, Polish um, consul general in India and vice consul, as well as uh, the consul in New Zealand and his wife, um, peop other people are put in motion and the initiatives which end up hosting hundreds of children are put together in place. Um, so the pattern of organization is this, was the same for all the locations that hosted Polish orphans and the doubts that they had upon leaving were the same, whether they should go back to Poland, whether they shouldn't, what um, awaits them uh, in Poland, which is no longer the Poland they know, um, was a paramount concern. And uh, most of them um, decided against going back. So the ones um, that lived um, in Africa, they usually traveled farther on to um, the United Kingdom and sometimes to the United States. Um, while the ones that were um, in the camp in Mexico, they, they opted for the United States, um, which was greatly facilitated by Polish, um, by American Polonia, of course. The ones who, who lived in New Zealand seamlessly integrated with um, New Zealand society. Um, and this leads me to, um, to my um, conclusion. This is the um, commemorative plaque of the children of Balachadi camp, uh, which was installed um, installed um, there at the end of, of the previous century, uh, which basically expresses the gratitude of, of all the children that were hosted there for the open hearts of people who uh, who um, wanted to have them as their kids for a while. And um, the plague says, um, uh, hail to the, um, uh, hail to the faraway land, um, to the friendly land, to the human land, to the good land. Um, so um, the children of Balachadi remembered for, for decades about the kindness that they experienced in, um, in India after the horrible experiences of uh, the deportation to the USSR. Also, um, the, this whole epopee and, and the story of their complicated life um, allows us to ask another question, whether the experiences of Polish refugees um, of that time can be applied to modern times uh, where when we witness uh, mass immigration uh, in many parts of the world. It seems that the model that the Poles proposed uh, where the locations in, we, in which refugees are 
become not only the places of accommodation and, and provision, but also the places in which some organized life is taking place together with all its aspects like education, um, vocational training, culture, um, religious practice, um, and other activities um, is not a good model. It looks like the people who, um, it seems that um, the people who went through those um, refugee camps in their youth, even after the very traumatic experience of being uh, deported to the USSR, were able to um, achieve um, in their adult life. M many of them gained higher education. Um, many of them were able to um, tackle the challenges of uh, emigration head on. Those who came back to Poland were able to survive in a system which was quite difficult to survive in. So obviously, a regular experience of, of such a refugee camp with an organized structure has proved in the past to give good results. Of course, not all the methods from the past can be applied because we no longer are very fond of scouting or um, we no longer take religion as seriously as, as people used to in those times. However, it seems that um, a refugee camp which provides some perspective and um, some opportunities for the future and a vision of the future uh, worked very well uh, for the Polish populace. So maybe this is a model we could resort to in the future too. Thank you for listening to my lecture and I'm very glad that um, you followed us on this uh, epopee of the Polish orphans. Let's not forget about them. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank Ms. Maria Nuchewska and all of you who tuned in. If you're interested in attending other upcoming webinar events, supporting IWP, or applying to one of our graduate programs, please go to iwp.edu. Again, that's iwp.edu. Thank you.